Hello and welcome to uh, Under Another Name. Uh, Joe was supposed to be joining us for this episode, but his Wi-Fi has let him down. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead with this interview with uh, the wonderful Jay Mossy, who's joining us today to talk about uh, what's been going on in football. Um, I thought maybe we'd take a step back and talk about um, how this all began. Uh, just bear in mind, viewers, I don't almost nothing about football, so I'm going to be I'm going to be learning as this interview goes along with Jay. Um, Jay, how did we sort of get into this mess with all of the all of these top clubs owned by these billionaire in, investors? Um, well, I, I'm a, a Manchester United fan. I run a United fan channel, a YouTube channel, um, so I know quite a bit about United and not so uh, as au fait with the other clubs, but I know a little bit about them. So I think in the sort of, in the, well, you know, you can sort of go back to the Premier League. The Premier League, it comes in and you just see money pouring into the Premier League, like into English football that you've not seen before. You know, the, the Sky TV deal, the sponsorship deals that we see coming in. It just, it, it goes through the stratosphere, it really does. So there's a lot of money to to be made and you know clubs towards the end of the the 90s and the beginning of the noughties we've got the champions league as well don't forget at the same time so you have these new competitions or these new sort of you know revamped competitions what was division one becomes premier league what was the european cup becomes the champions league and there's just lots more money to be made basically so then you see in the early noughties people businessmen looking at how they can get involved how they can come into clubs how they can potentially, you know, tap into some of this money. Now, in the case of Manchester United, what we had was the Glazer family in 2005 who decided they were going to take over Manchester United. Now, first of all, Rupert Murdoch wanted to do it, but he was stopped. I think the government stopped him. I think it was seen as a bit of a monopoly because of him owning Sky and things like that. I'm not sure the, the intricacies of it, but he was stopped from doing it. But then the Glazers come in now. The problem with the Glazers is they never had the money to buy Manchester United in the first place. So what they did was they borrowed lots of money to buy up, buy United, but they didn't have what they used to buy United was these loans on Manchester United. So they were saying, you know, you loan us this money and as collateral, we'll use the club. And it was just ridiculous. It ploughed the club into hundreds of millions of debt. Um, and they've just been taking money out of the club ever since the last 16 years. I think they've taken out about a billion in things like dividends and debts as well, and, then, and loans and other sort of stuff like that. Now, with some of the other clubs, because of the Super League, which is going on at the minute, um, well, the idea which was suggested, you had clubs like Arsenal, similar things, Cronker, I think it is, came in there. Chelsea and City are a little bit different in the sense that Chelsea was taken over by Roman Abramovich, who... I wouldn't say necessarily he wanted to make lots of money out of Chelsea. It seems that there was an element with Roman Abramovich, like it was almost a project for him. He put, mm. actually put a lot of money into Chelsea, if you're being fair now. You know, if you look at when he took over, I think it was around 2003, to currently, he's, I think he's spent far more than he's taken out of that club. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he has because he's invested a lot. You look at Sheikh Mansour with City, which was 2008, I think he took over. Now... City, some City fans may disagree, there's a big debate about it, but by and large, that was, for me, part of almost a sports washing exercise. It was like, we're going to buy Manchester City along with some other clubs, you know, this was the, the I think it was the Abu Dhabi group or one of the, the families over in the Middle East, and it was just basically as this project to help promote their country, their nation, their, uh, their brand, if you will, and in some may argue to distract from some of the questionable things that were going on over there in terms of uh, human rights. 
with some of the other clubs involved, Liverpool, you've got, um, I think it's John W. Henry, the Boston Red Sox owner. Again, a very rich man, but someone who's probably looking to make some money out of this. Um, so you had these billionaire owners coming into clubs for different reasons. Some, you maybe to, to sort of promote their brand. Others, like a, a, a passion project almost. But by and large, it was to make money. Now, we've seen a lot of clubs suffer with this. Aston Villa, I think, for a little while, they had Randy Lerner, they suffered from it. Other clubs have, have just almost gone under. Leeds at one point were in trouble. Southampton at one point were in trouble. We've seen the, further down the pyramid in Manchester, for example, the likes of Berry have gone out of business, just no longer exist. So you've seen a lot of owners, unscrupulous owners come in. Portsmouth is another great example. Try to make money out of clubs. Some of these owners don't have the money to back that up. Um, others do. And it's just become a little bit of a mess. Well, it's become a big mess, to be honest with you. And it's a mess that's threatening football. And we saw it with this recent Super League idea where the fans have revolted and everyone has. Everyone's mobilised against it because they thought they could bring in a sort of an American model into the game where you don't get... Instead of the Champions League, they look to have this Super League, which is similar to what goes on in America, where you don't have necessarily, in some leagues, have promotion and relegation as you do in the Champions League where you have to qualify, it would just be the same sort of teams in this elite competition, never not never dropping out or having to qualify, always being in it and having this big pot of money that JP Morgan had helped front with uh, with investors and then it all out. But it looked like they were trying to do that model here. Fans aren't having it and that's why it looks like it's dead in the water. Well, I say it's dead yeah. in the water until they try some other shenanigans. So it sounds like what's happening in football is you've had a bunch of people come into the game who um, don't really understand how football works in this country and what they're trying to do is they're trying to buy the clubs as assets really and to try and um, get what they want out of them. So either in some cases it's about the prestige maybe of owning a football club, in other cases it's just about making an awful lot of money. I mean I couldn't believe it when when a friend of mine He's a really big Manchester United fan. A friend of mine called Darren was telling me about what happened with Glazer. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, the idea that you could, like, just rock up at Manchester United. Yeah, he's a wealthy guy, but you can say, loan me some money. Uh, it sounds like this is what happened. Loan me some money and I'll use that money to buy you. And then what I'll do is I'll just, I'll take loads of money back and make loads of money out of you. And, uh, yeah, it's just absolutely crazy. Um yeah, so I was just wondering, in relation to football, because I don't really understand football, uh, I've heard a lot about the football pyramid and the idea of clubs being rooted in their communities. Could you just say a little bit about what the threat was in this case? Yeah, absolutely. There's obviously, for anyone who doesn't, is not sort of to speed with the Super League and why so many clubs and uh, fans were against it. Basically, what you know, the way that football obviously works, and I don't mean to tell anyone how to suck eggs here, but just to sort of go through it all so we're all sort of clear. Um, you know, you have promotion, you have relegation. In the Premier League, for example, if you finish in the top four in the Premier League, you go into the Champions League. If you, you know, if you finish outside of top four, you don't. That's how it works. That's your motivation to do well in a lot of cases. Obviously, you want to win it, but if you can't win it, then you know you've got that sort of that carrot of okay if we do finish in the top four we go into the champions league then we can try and win the champions league if you if you're in the group stages of the champions league and you finish third in your group you go into the europa league also if you finish fifth or sixth in the premier league you go into the europa league if you win the league cup i think and the fa cup you go into the europa league so which is like the the sort of second tier of the champions league it's like just one rung below but it's a system where it's a meritocracy in terms of 
if you do well, if you win games, if you sort of finish higher than other teams, then you're rewarded. You get to go in this competition. Yes, this competition brings in lots of money, but it also, you know, is a, a competition where you get to play against the best teams in Europe. And obviously, as a fan, that's what you want to see and you want to see your team competing week in, week out in the Premier League to get into this competition. And when they're in the Champions League, you want to see them competing week in and week out to win it. And if they're in the group stages, you want to see them trying to do the best to, 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 to stay in the group and to promote, sorry, to progress from that. It's all about, you know, you want to see that competitiveness. Now, what happens with the, um, the Super League idea is there was originally the, the, the suggestion was or the plans were there'd be 15 teams that were in it constantly, no matter whether they finished 15th in their league or first. They were in it. Of those 15 teams, 12 were already decided. Um, we know that six of them were from the UK, uh, from England, sorry. So you had Manchester City, you had Chelsea, you had Liverpool, you had Spurs, Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, sorry, I'm... Um, sorry. So Spurs, sorry, I'll get this right. Spurs, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, City. There you go. Those are your six. You also had, I think, the Milan club, so Inter and AC. You had Juventus, you had Atletico Madrid, you had Barcelona, you had Real Madrid. Uh, th those were your 12. Then there was, they were going to make up the, the other eight. Now, for starters, that's not what European competition should be about. You know, I'm a United fan. I've seen my club in different countries all over the world, well, over Europe. You know, I love my trips when I can to places like, you know, Stockholm or Holland or... Um, Germany, there's no German clubs, for example. So you, you're eliminating a big chunk of, of what makes the European competition so good. So clubs like Bayern Munich, Ajax, massive clubs, Benfica, none of those are in it. You know, there's no, there was no one from, from Germany, no one from France, Paris Saint-Germain or Marseille or whoever. There was none of that. So it's not the same sort of European competition at all. It's more elite. And also, if you're already in this competition, then... Let's say now in this end of the season, we're, we're, we're towards the end of the season, I think there's six or seven games left. If you're 14th in the Premier League, you're not going to get relegated. But, you, you've got, but you're still in the, in a, in the, you're going to be in the Super League next season. You've got no more, nothing left to play for. You've got nothing left to play for. So why are you going to play your best team in the Premier League? You're not. You're probably going to save your best team for the Super League competition. Also, you know, same by the same mark, if you're 7th or 8th in the Premier League, but you know next season you aren't going to be in the Super League no matter what, then what is the point in trying to do your best in the Premier League? You can say, okay, for the sake of it, you want to win matches, but it takes away that competition. It takes away that reward. You, you don't get that. You're just getting this elitism. And also, if you're, so if you're not involved in the Super League, you're missing out because it's like, okay, no matter what I do, I won't get in it. And if you are in it, it's unfair because you're not, you've not got that competitive, you've not got that reason week in, week out to try and win football matches. And also, as a fan, I like to see my team playing against the best teams. I like to see them going up against the best teams. But I don't want to see them playing the best teams or some of the best teams every week because we do anyway, because we're in this elite competition. And also, I don't want to see us playing teams like Arsenal finished, or Arsenal, sorry, around ninth in the Premier League. Spurs are seventh. Why are they in this league when teams that are above them aren't? It doesn't make any sense. So it was grossly unfair. As a fan, it's depriving you of seeing the level of competitiveness you want to see. It's seeing the reward that you should get when you do well. It's just, it's not what being a football fan is about. And also, if you do like to go to the game, you know, you're missing out on travelling to some of those away trips. You're also missing out on seeing some of those clubs coming to your ground, seeing those teams playing against your team. You're never going to see your team play Ajax if Ajax are never in the Super League. You're never going to see your team play... Um, Benfica have never in the Super League or if you're not one of these clubs if you're a team say who, who you know you're not a United fan or you're not a Chelsea fan or you're not anyone who's in the Super League 
then you're going to be in this Champions League, which again is going to be weaker because it's not going to have Barcelona in it, it's not going to have Real Madrid in it, it's not going to have Atletico Madrid in it, it's not going to have Manchester City in it because they're all in the Super League. It's just depriving the fans of seeing fair, competitive football against the rest of the against the rest of Europe and making it far more elite and almost at times making the matches pointless because what are you playing for? You're already in a competition. What's the point? So I'm just wondering. Um, obviously, a lot of anger there. Uh, Gary Neville says that. I'm not against money in football. Um, there's clearly been in this debate and the politics of it, like more radical responses and less radical responses. So, for example, uh, the Labour manifesto in 2019 called for um, giving fans ownership of, of football clubs, at least 51% following the German model. What yeah. would what would you say the solution to this is? Are you sort of are you with Gary that you've not got much of a problem with money in football? Or is it is it is there something fundamentally wrong when you've got these really wealthy billionaires uh, buying these clubs, not really caring about the communities that they're connected to. I mean, I think Gary Neville's, you know, he always speaks very passionately about passionately about it. As he mentioned, he owns a football club himself. He actually owns a football club that have overspent for the level they're in. <laughs> they've had, but they've got. I think he's got a billionaire co-investor in Peter Lim, who's put a lot of money. So they've been paying pretty much astronomical wages in, in when they were in non-league and now they're in the league. Uh, far more wages in terms of wages and money than the clubs around them. And that's one of the reasons they've had success. But I get where he's coming from in terms of money in football and, and, and having that balance. Now, in answer to your question, no, I don't mind that there's money in football. You're going to have to have money in football. And one of the reasons you, you know, I've benefited as a fan at times from having money in football because would some of the best players in the world play for my club if we didn't pay them better wages than elsewhere? Probably not. Would I see some of the better players in the Premier League playing if we didn't pay them that wage? No. Some of the best games I've seen, not just from the team that I'm supporting, but against teams as well, I've seen some fantastic players playing against my club and I've seen some fantastic players playing for them. And a lot of the reason, well, the only reason they're playing is because they're getting paid good wages. They're getting paid more money to play for these clubs than they would elsewhere. Not all the ca- all the time. Some, some players might be in a little bit less, but they've got an affinity with the club. But by and large... You know, money does talk. So we get that. I'm not saying you can't, although it's a, a romantic idea, you can't say, well, there's no money in football and get rid of it because how is that going to work? And why would a player come and play in England then if they're not going to get paid as much as if they went and played abroad or if they went, yeah, it just wouldn't, be, it just wouldn't work. And if it did work, the, the game would suffer. You'd just be seen in a lower standard of football. No one really wants to see that. But with the German model where the, the clubs are, I think they own 51% by the fans. That gives you a say as a fan. That gives the fans a say. They can protect that club. They can have a say in it. Also, it's not just a, a billionaire's play thing. It's not just someone who comes in there, doesn't care about the club, can bleed it, can milk it for all it's worth, or can use it as just a sort of a distraction for other things so that people are giving them a bit of credit or a bit of good PR. It becomes almost like a people's club. And that's what's needed because all you're seeing, whether you're seeing a billionaire coming in and milking your club dry, bleeding your club dry, or a billionaire coming in it and using it as a play thing, where they might love it for a few years or, you know, not love it, but invest in it for a few years and then get bored or then need more money. So they decide to start selling things out of the club, selling the players, almost asset stripping. That stops all that or it makes it very more difficult for it to happen. So while that's not, there's no perfect solution because you've still got to have money in football, but you want to see fan ownership. I think the German model is one that is a lot more successful than what we're seeing currently in the UK. And what about, um, you know, obviously know a lot about Manchester United. Um, we had protesters on the training ground today. Um, apparently, Solskjaer went out to, to speak to them. Uh, and if, uh, from what I've read, they were there because they want Glazer out of the club. Uh, where do you stand on him and his presence at Manchester United? 
Well, when you say him, it's, it's actually, I think there's several of them. Um, right. I think it's Joel, I think it's Avram, um, and um, oh, there's another one I'm forgetting. I think there's there's a few, there's a, there's Darcy, I think the sister that I, I shouldn't know. There's, there's, um, there's, a, there's a few there's Glazers. There's a family affair. There's a family, yeah, the Glazer family. I mean, it was Malcolm Glazer. Um, he passed away and then it was his, his sons um, who, who took over um, from it. Brian, that's the one. Sorry, I forgot. So there's Brian Glazer, Joel Glazer, Avram Glazer, and I think that's, I mean, there's, there's a few families that have different rares, but those are the main three. Um, yeah, so it's that ownership that, that, that fans are, are angry about. Um, and I saw that this morning. I've been down to Carrington to meet myself today, uh, not as part of that process, because that, that happened, that almost happened before I got out of bed today. I was on a late shift, so um, I, I saw it um, on social media. But they went down there, um, I think it was anything between 20 or 40 fans, depending on who you read walked around the training ground, held up some banners, spoke to all that. It was very peaceful. I know some people have been giving them a bit of grief, but it was a peaceful process. There was no violence or anything like that. There was no damage. It was just literally, we're making a statement. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out and spoke to them. I think Michael Carrick did as well, the, uh, the, the, head team, the first team coach, and obviously an ex-player as well. And then the police came and they, they left. And it was like, you know, it was a, a sort of a statement. And it did make a statement because me and you were sat here talking about it. It's been all over the papers and we're having a conversation about ownership. So the thing that, the, the issue that United have with, Manchester United fans have with the Glazer family is this is a family that has consistently took money out of Manchester United. They didn't have any money to put into it in the first place. They sidled us with all this debt. So we're now in I think even after 16 years of ownership, we're still in £455 million worth of debt, I think. I might be wrong on my figures, forgive me, but we're in hundreds of millions of pounds worth of debt. I think they've took out about £1.2 billion, if not more, out of the club since they've become involved, both in debts and in dividends. So, and in these loan payments. So, the paying off these loans, the dividends these, the owners have taken out, is just absolutely not ruining the club, because... When they came in, it was in such a strong position and such a big institution that it's almost difficult to ruin it overnight. But it's heading that way. It's gradually, you know, we, we, people may look at it and go, and I've had this argument, or I've heard this argument with people, they look at Manchester United and you go, well, hang on a minute, you're second in the league. You've got a defender that cost you £80 million. Pounds. You've got a midfielder that cost you £89 million. Pounds. You know, are you not just moaning for nothing? How can you moan when you've got Berry who've gone out of business and you've got Bolton who are on the verge going out of business, Wigan are going on the verge going out of business? Or even if you know, you're know you a Premier League team in the mid-table, you go, well, we wish we had an £80 million defender. And I understand that argument, but the, the, the issue is you look at is, is the reason it's flawed is Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in the world. We are. We were one of the biggest clubs in the world when the Glazers came in. When you're one of the biggest clubs in the world, you make more money than other clubs. We just do. We have a fan base. They reckon it's in the hundreds of millions. I don't know how accurate these sort of uh, sort of polls or whatever are, but we've got a massive global fan base. We make a lot of money. We, you know, we they came in. We were a club that had recently won the league, recently won the Champions League, was challenging every year. We, you know, we we're at the very top of our game. We've got a crowd, a ground that holds seventy-six thousand fans. By and large, when the fans are allowed in the ground, of course, it's sold out every single game or most games anyway. So you've got this massive club with this massive fan base that makes a lot of money. And what's happened is none of that money, not enough of that money, has been put back into the club. A club that was financially stable, that was making money and was profitable, or, or at least was, you know, running on in, in, in the black, has now got lots of debt. We're no longer competing at the level we were. 
we've flattered to deceive a little bit in terms of not flattered to deceive. We've, I think, overachieved a little bit in terms of you look at what Logan Solskjaer has done this season. Look at the money that Chelsea spent, where Liverpool were last season, um, and where where we've ended up this season. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done a great job. Also, we've been through quite a lot of managers. The club itself has been run shambolically. We've gone through too many managers. We've wasted a lot of money. We've spent about a billion in transfer fees. A lot of that's been wasted. We've spent a lot of money on this debt. We've spent a lot of money on these dividends. Manchester United has not been run properly. It's just been run haphazardly. And it's been run in a way that if it continues to be run this way for the next 16 years, at the end of that, what sort of Manchester United is going to be left? Hmm. As it stands, we haven't won the Premier League in eight years, which was a long time for Manchester United. As it stands, we haven't won a trophy, I think, for four years, which is a long time for Manchester United. And again, fans may go, well, diddums, but that is a long time for Manchester United because, you know, we're a club that historically is successful. Even before Sir Alex Ferguson, every couple of years we'd win a cup. So to stop winning trophies, to see money being squandered, to see all this debt accumulating, to see the ground, if you go to Old Shafford, whether you're a United fan or not, it needs a lot of work, it needs repairing, it almost needs rebuilding. It's not getting the, the, the money spent on it it needs. So to see all that happening, it's going to be, you know, it's, it, it can't continue. Sooner or later, something's going to give. And also, what this Super League has proven, and this is an argument I've made many times to, to rival fans, is it's not just Manchester United that get hurt when you have the Glazers there. You've seen it now. They were one of the architects of this Super League idea, which would have hurt everyone in English football, in European football, not just Manchester United. So whether you're a United fan or not, the Glazers being at Old Trafford is not good for football. It's not good for your club. It's certainly not good for mine. And just taking a sort of a step back from football for a second and looking more broadly, um, it felt to me, and maybe, you know, I'm a socialist, right? So I look at everything this way. Um, but it felt to me that there was there was a kind of radical moment that was sort of happening where um, lots and lots of people who are, you know, normally quite disengaged in politics or, or, or maybe not just, dis, maybe disengaged is too far, but not that interested in politics, suddenly realising that, Part of the reason why this had happened is because you had these really rich billionaires whose interests were were totally disconnected from the clubs and the communities in which they lived, and um, and and were you know just pursuing their own self-interest and therefore destroying the beautiful game. Was this a radicalising moment? And, and and do you think that do you think that fans will be connecting this in the same way that I am to to, to a sort of broader criticism of capitalism and how it functions? I think it was a. I think it was a moment. Yeah, I really do. Um, I don't know how far it's going to go. We've seen it now, though, a little bit in terms of people's calling for you know regulation and changing legislation when it comes to ownership, like uh, you know speaking out against these owners and against almost you could take it a step further and against you know capitalism. I don't know how far it's going to go. The part of the problem is you know you've got Boris Johnson making these promises that he's going to change things, going to look at football. Boris Johnson in two thousand and five on Question Time, there's a clip doing the rounds. When he was asked about the Glazers taking over Manchester United, said I think I'm paraphrasing here, but he almost said that that went into you know conservative values or whatever that you know free market and if you can you know if you want to buy something you can because he didn't care about football fans. The only reason he cares about us now is not because he cares; he cares about the votes. You've got millions of football fans that are angry, and if you can be seen to doing something about it to make their lot in life better or to appease them, then they're more likely to vote for you in the next election. I think that's where he's coming from because it's very core. Cool. What is Boris Johnson, a conservative leader in Prime Minister, who's a staunch capitalist? Uh, you know, he's not suddenly become socialist. <laughs> he's not got socialist tendencies overnight. He's just he's, he's he's pandering to the crowd. But there's a movement going on now with fans, and it's not just Manchester United fans. We've seen Chelsea fans. We've seen. 
uh, Arsenal fans as well, um, Liverpool fans, even fans of clubs, like I said to you earlier, who weren't in the Super League but would be affected by it, Leeds fans, for example. Um, so maybe there could be a movement and maybe we could see real change. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that this moves away from just being a plaything of billionaires and this sort of, you know, this, this it's just a purely business entity and it becomes like it, sh it was when it started. With a lot of these clubs... You look at these clubs, you look at Manchester United Football Club. Manchester United Football Club was, was created, I think in 1878, I think it was Newton Heath, for, for, I think it was railway workers. It was a workers club. It was made for, it was created for, for the people that worked um, in Manchester. Many other clubs are like that. You know, you, know, you don't have to be a football fan to know that. There's, 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 there's clubs, whether it's in Sheffield, whether it's in London, whether it's in you know, uh, Liverpool, who were, were created for workers. This is why we've made this football club so workers can can either take part or can watch this this club, um, and that's how it, it came out. And it was always you know that sort of ethos and that idea has carried on. It's carried on through through decades, right back from the, the sort of the early turn of the century to 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 the nineties or whatever. They've always had that at their core that this is a sort of a, the people's game as it's called or whatever. But now it's moving away from that. Now you're seeing it becoming more and more about just television, about um, you know, making more and more money. Games are no longer three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. That was the game time. You know, when I was a kid, three o'clock on a Saturday, that's when you went and watched the game. That's when it was played. Now it's Friday night, Thursday night, Wednesday night, Monday night, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Saturday morning, whenever the telly wants it, you know, when the television rights want it. The, t the tickets were affordable for everyone. Mm. You know, my first, I know I'm showing my age here, I used to pay four quid to go and watch my team. Yeah, go and stand and watch my team for four quid. Now, if I wanted to take my son or my daughters to the game, say me and my missus took the three kids, we're looking at 200 quid or something like that. I haven't got it. Don't have it. So I'm not going to do that. It's, you know, it's been moving away from becoming a people's game and just becoming purely a business. Football fans are no longer viewed as fans by these people, by these owners. They're viewed as customers. The idea is get you to the ground early, get you spending money all day, and then get you out after the game. So they don't want people like me who are... What was it? I forget who it was. Was it the legacy fan? I think it was Florentino Perez or whoever it was called it. Called us legacy fans who, you know, we care about the history of the club and we go to the games and stuff like that. They don't want people like me who are going to do that. They want people who are going to go spend money in a superstore, buy merchandise, spend money on food and drink all day in the ground, spend all day in the ground and then go home. If you want to watch the game now, if I want to watch my club, at the moment we can't get into the ground because of obviously COVID. So you're watching games on the television. I have to subscribe to Amazon, I have to subscribe to Sky, I have to subscribe to BT. I'm, I'm probably missing one. You know, those three subscriptions, that could be a few hundred quid a month. That, you know, that's ridiculous. To watch yeah. a game at home, I'm not even going, and I'm paying potentially hundreds of pounds a month to watch, to watch football matches. So, and if I, that's, you know, if I want to watch them all, and if I wanted to watch... Champions League and my team in the Premier League and then and the FA Cup and everything. Yeah, you've got to buy, pay all these subscription services. And it's just moving it away from that and it's making it, it's becoming more and more of a, an elite sort of endeavour. And it shouldn't be like, it's a working people's games for working classes. And I don't mean it's exclusive working classes. I mean, you know, rich people, yeah, I can watch football. I'm not saying that. The point is, you've got 76,000 fans at Old Trafford most weeks when fans are allowed in the ground. They'll buy a lot, you know, the vast majority of them are working class people. And they're the struggling to make ends meet, or they're struggling to cope and be able to afford to go to the game. And it's just you're moving it away from those people. And what's going to happen is 
long term it's just going to damage the football club you can see in you know the, these owners what they want to see is an american model where people like i said day trippers basically go to the game for the day where it's all about television where they even try you know they tried to remember that you probably don't know about or you might do about the 39th game where they were going to play one game i think in a foreign country for the premier league just have it abroad yeah and you, you have to worry you know like they do in america where they move the franchise don't they across the country would that happen? Would I see, you know, Manchester United move to London because they can make more money there or mm. to Shanghai? I mean, it sounds ridiculous at the moment, but Super League sounded ridiculous 20 years ago. So you just don't know where this is going to lead. One thing I can see happening, though, is it's just moving away, further and further away from the people that make football great and what it is. And that's a shame. You know, football is a release. It's escapism. Now more than ever, it's reminded us of that. You know, it's been such a difficult time during um, during COVID and during a pandemic. And I know people have got bigger fish to fry than watching football matches. I'm not dis disputing that. You know, I have as well. I've got a family and, and, you know, work issues and stuff like that that have gone on with the pandemic. But football is that escapism, is that hobby. And when you take that away from people and you make it more difficult for them and make them can't afford it and you make them, give them tough choices where it's either watch your team or, you know, perhaps you have to not buy something that you need or whatever then that's not what football should be about. Should, but football should be for everyone and people should be able to enjoy it. And while I like Gary Neville, I love him as a United fan and as a legend, and he's writing what he said, you know, Gary Neville works for Sky. Gary Neville works for a, a subscription service that took a game that was on terrestrial television for free and made us pay for it. Now, again, it's different because, okay, you can put, Sky put a lot of money into football and all this sort of stuff. But that's the point is, there's always been money in football and there will be money in football. That's just one of those things. I think the problem is there's just too much money in football and it's moving around, uh, moving it away, sorry, from those of us who, who can't afford everything that they need to pay to watch it. So it sounds like there's a fairly reasonable set of demands. We want fans to have more ownership of clubs. Yeah. We want more games on terrestrial television. We want clubs to be rooted in the communities. How do you see... Or, or, or how, how could you see fans moving forward from this moment? I mean, do they need to start protesting? Do they need to stop buying tickets? Do they? What, what do you think fans need to do? This is going to be my final question. So just to feel free to have a rant. But what, uh, what, what should fans do? Because it, because it feels to me like this might be one of those times where there's a huge explosion. Because it has been a huge explosion. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you about this because I don't have any interest in, po in football. I'm interested in politics. Um, what, what, what needs to happen next? Well, I think one thing we've seen over the last sort of four days, and it's mad it's only four days because it feels like about four months since the Super League drivel got suggested or it looked like it was going to happen and everyone sort of mobilised. felt like we all mobilised, didn't it? Um, you've seen fans of rival clubs coming together. And I'm not saying we should all, you know, I don't want to put my arm, you know, arm in, arm in arm with Liverpool fans and City fans and my new best mates or anything like that. But I think we can all come together to, to sort of work together and as one unified voice against this, against this sort of, you know, the things that you've mentioned and work towards getting them. Now, how do we achieve that? Well, you know, you mentioned there, part of the problem is with the pandemic, it would be easy to say, right, we've got a game on um, against, for Manchester United, for example, we've got a home game against Liverpool. Let's not, none of us attend that game coming up next week. But we're not attending it anyway, because you can't get in the ground, there's no fans. So you can't really do that. So you have to do protests in other ways. So you mentioned the protests we saw today. They went down to the training ground. I think there's, there's some element of them stopping certain uh, people getting into training. There's, you know, there's, there's sort of civil disobedience, if you will. Canceling subscriptions, just saying we're not gonna pay it. 
you know, I'm a hypocrite because I am a season ticket holder at Manchester United and I've got Sky, I've got BT and I've got Amazon Prime. I've got all those things. I'm moaning about them and I'm not, you know, I'm not, in a, I'm not a rich person by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I think you could argue, actually, I, I should be putting my money elsewhere when you, you look, look at my budget. But I have, um, you know, I, I do all of those things because I'm a massive football fan and it, for me, it's my main hobby and it's something that I love. And, you know, it's something that I just can't walk away from. When the Glazers came in, I know people that were like, I'm not going to Manchester United anymore. Mm. And I was tensed, but I was one of those that said, do you know what? I was here before them. I'll be here after them. You know, I've been going to United since I was five years old and I'm going to continue to go and I'm going to take my kids and all the rest of it. And, and I'll, I'll ride this out and, and sort of, you know, always go see my club because it's my club, not theirs. But there comes a point where you go, well, actually, you can't just go along with this anymore because it's not going to have the changing effects that you want. So does that mean cancelling my season ticket when fans are allowed in? Does it mean us all cancelling our subscriptions? Does it mean us protesting in physical protests at grounds, at training grounds, at stadiums, just saying, right, do you know what? We're not doing this anymore. We're not just standing by. Does it mean players helping out? Mm. We've seen Gary Neville, he's an ex-player. He's an ex-player, he's a pundit and he's a club owner. So he's ticking a lot of boxes there. But... Do players themselves, we saw, we've seen some very eloquent interviews. I saw um, the lad Patrick Bamford from Leeds give a fantastic, I know, I'm not Leeds fans, Leeds, Leeds are our rivals, but he gave a fantastic interview after the Leeds-Liverpool game where we spoke about it. He said, you know, when you see owners or you see money is affecting, it's affecting uh, these owners, how there's uproar, when, where was the uproar for racism? Where was the, the sort of the, the attention there or where was the movement there? He, he, you know, he spoke so eloquently about it. I was really impressed. But he was obviously very, very passionate about how unfair this Super League idea was. If we can get that same passion, because don't forget that players like, great example, Marcus Rashford, the, the people's hero, Marcus Rashford, made the Tories do a U-turn twice. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, the, 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 in my opinion, the real leader of the opposition, to be honest with you, but that's another story. Um, when you get people out, the reason Marcus Rashford is, is so connected to people and so able to care and does like he cared about free school meals, he was on free school meals. He's a working class lad. He used to get those free meals. That's why he gives a toss. That's why he was like, I need to do something about that. Lots and lots of these footballers are from working class backgrounds. They get it. They might be millionaires now, but they weren't born millionaires. They understand the fact that this is a people's game. They understand that people can't afford all these things. And maybe one or two of them would be willing to take a stand. Maybe they said to them, actually, we want to see something change. Maybe they'd be able to go, well, you know what? I don't know, and I'm not saying I, I know this is going to happen. I haven't spoke to any footballers, I don't really know any, but maybe they'd be saying, you know what? We're not going to play this weekend unless there's changes. Yeah, maybe that, that is the next step. I don't know. That's me maybe just doing a wishful thinking because I know these guys earn a lot of money and they have obligations and they have contracts and I get it. It's very easy for me to sit here and say, well, maybe, they, but maybe that is the next step. Who knows? That, that is something that could happen. Fans, you know, when they are back, like back around, might say we're not doing it. Not renewing our season ticket. We're not subscribing to these channels. Maybe you get ex-players continuing to speak out and to make things happen. Maybe you get sponsors who say, you know, if you say, right, I am not buying any more football kits. I am not drinking any more Coca-Cola or whatever or Pepsi or whatever. I'm not dealing with these sponsors until something changes in football. Maybe that has an effect. I think it has to be from several angles. It can't just be one thing. The fact is, if I don't, and this isn't a get out claw, this isn't a get out like for me, but if I don't renew my season ticket, that seat isn't going to be empty. Mm. It's not. Someone else will have it. You know, and that, that might, you might think, well, I'm, I'm just saying that because I don't want to, um, I, I, I don't want to sort of not renew. But it's, it's true. But if you have a real movement, a real en masse movement, 
then maybe things do change. Maybe when the crowds are back in and no one's there, the owners go, we're going to have to do something. We can't sustain this with no fans.